You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, now send us your spirit as your word is preached that we might believe the good news of your son, both crucified and risen. And Lord, that that word would matter for our life. Help us now to receive it in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, In many things in life that are uh, important to us, that often maybe we take for granted, it can be helpful to think about what their first principles are, what the bare necessities are for many things. For example, when I'm meeting with a couple and preparing for a wedding, uh, for the counseling that I do with them before a marriage, a couple of couples I think might be in this room that I've done this with, uh, I'll remind them, um, now look, the, the most important thing on the wedding day is that you two show up and that I am there. And even it doesn't even have to be me, it could be someone else who's licensed to do the wedding. Uh, that's it. I mean, if you want to come in your pajamas, we can just go in the chapel. No one else has to be here, just the, the three of us, or at least the two of you, and someone else who's legally authorized to put the whole thing in perspective, you know, because the weddings just are getting so blown out of proportion. You know, six figures sometimes people spend on weddings, and all these things that we uh, often equate the wedding with are not part of the first principles. You know, all the money spent on the, the secondary matters that are great. And, you know, you're, you're, um, you're celebrating one of the most important things in your life. So you would want more than, than the three of us there. And you probably would want to wear something other than your pajamas. But just to put it in perspective, that's the, the sort of first principle of a wedding. Or just think of the concept of church. Uh, that church, even though people will say that's a church and point to a building, that church at its core is not about a building or a denomination or, or things like that that we associate with the idea. The word in the Greek, ekklesia, means the called out ones, those who've been called out, out of the darkness into the light, called to gather, that it's often meant to use, used to mean a gathering or an assembly of people. As Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so that's, that's what it is. You know, if you and I get together in Christ's name and, and read God's word, uh, we're having church. That's its uh, first principle. Or think about the United States of America. We just had uh, 4th of July a couple weeks ago. What's the first principle of the USA? Is it red, white, and blue, or the 50 states of our union, or the president of the United States? Uh, Is it apple pie? Is it speaking the English language, or any of these sorts of things that have become a part of the United States? Uh, But actually, those things are sort of disposable, or at least flexible and changeable. The first principle of the United States is actually this, that it's not Great Britain. The first principle of our country is that it's not the United Kingdom. That's the Declaration of Independence that we're celebrating on the 4th of July. Lest we forget, you know, this happened 200-something years ago, uh, so we lack that perspective. But back then, that was the big deal, you know, that the United States has declared its independence from uh, Great Britain, no longer beholden to the crown. Well, what about Christianity? What about Christian belief? What's the first principle or the ground floor of uh, Christian belief without which it'd be something else entirely? 
Maybe the things that we consider a part of Christianity uh, are, are natural and flowing after the first principle, but what is the uh, first principle? If we're the, the called out ones, what have we been called out for? Is it a moral or ethical system, or is it a spirituality to, to, to help us feel better in life, to cope with life, to connect perhaps with the divine, whoever it is? Uh, is it uh, just one of many or infinite paths to the same spiritual destination of ultimate reality? Uh, is it pastors? Is it organ music or contemporary Christian music or gospel music or some other uh, aesthetic preference that we attach to church, to, to Christianity rather? Or is it a particular person, you know, a particular pastor or personality uh, from Christianity that we identify with and enjoy? Well, toward the end of his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, Paul explains that none of these things are the first principle of Christianity, thankfully. Uh, they might be uh, good things. They might be important things. They might follow the first principle, but they themselves are not it. They're not the top priority. Uh, without the top priority, all these things uh, would be meaningless. So what does Paul tell us? Well, he's, he's fairly clear, actually. Let's just take a look again. I know Molly read it, but I mean, you could look in your bulletin, or if you have your Bible. I don't know why the word now is cut out, but the beginning of the chapter, that's important, that word now. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But he says this. I'm just going to read the, the first uh, eight verses of the passage again. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to, the, to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also uh, to me. This chapter is the last, actually, in a series of responses that Paul's giving to the Corinthian church of uh, concerns that they've raised in a letter that they've written to him. Uh, this started back in, in chapter 7, and you can see the, the, each individual concern that he's addressing because he starts each one with now, at least in our English translation. If you look at 7.1, he says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And then in 8.1, he says, Now concerning food offered to idols. Uh, and then he addresses that for three chapters until you get to 11, verse 2. He says, now I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions. And he goes on to talk about some of those traditions. And then beginning at the beginning of uh, chapter 12, for a few chapters again, he addresses spiritual gifts. So he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And, and then he comes to our chapter with, now I would remind you, brothers, 
of the gospel I preach to you. And you can see this even after our chapter in 16, now concerning the collection, and then in verse 12, now concerning our brother Apollos. So do you see the pattern? He's addressing different concerns that they're raising. So what's the concern here? The concern is about resurrection. Uh, two things related to that. First of all, Jesus Christ's specific resurrection from the dead. Uh, and related to it, the general idea, of the, the general resurrection of the dead to come the last day. And that these two things are related to each other. Now, I can't get into all of it. This is a long chapter. We're only looking at uh, the first uh, bit of it. Uh, we're going to be in this chapter for three weeks. But here he's, uh, he's just giving the sort of the first assertion related to Christ's resurrection. Uh, and he puts that resurrection into the full context of Christian belief. Let's look at it once again, and I'll sort of walk us through as I'm reading it, uh, just those eight verses. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, that because this is something that he's shared with them before, and we need to be reminded of the gospel. That's why we come back here every Sunday is to hear it again and again. The, uh, the gospel message that he shared with them, that he's preached, that I've preached to you, and this might not have been formally uh, like, a, uh, like a, from a pulpit as much as proclaim the gospel, the, the gospel that he's proclaimed, no matter the context, that he received also from uh, some other people, from the apostles, that he's received this message, and, and they've received it from him. That's the important thing. We see this at the end of our passage today. It doesn't matter about who the preacher is. It's about the message that, uh, that you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved, that this gospel message is the firm footing, the solid ground on which uh, they should stand and, and nothing else, and that the, the, the gospel communicates a process of salvation, that we were saved that we are saved and that we're being saved. We have hope for salvation to come. Uh, and if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Uh, the, the, the better way to translate that word vain might be unless you believed in haste or without proper consideration, considering all that this entails, that maybe you just sort of, yeah, 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 that sounds good. I believe in that, you know, sort of a, an, an intellectual ascent to the idea, but it not really uh, uh, sinking in. So that's what he says in the first two verses. And then uh, verses three through eight, really. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is the first principle. This is the top priority the message that he received and that they received from him, and now he's reminding them of it because it's that important. We need to hear it over and over again, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So two things happening here, that the message about his atoning death, that he actually was buried in body, and rose from the grave, first of all, uh, was foreshadowed, was promised, was hoped for in the Old Testament. That's what he means by according to the scriptures. Now you could think of particular passages that he might be referring to. For example, just think uh, most obviously of Isaiah 52 and 53, about the suffering servant who was pierced for our transgressions. Or think of Psalm 16, which says, 
For you will not abandon my soul to shale, or let your Holy One see corruption. Or think of Psalm 22, which Jesus recited when he was there on the cross, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or think of Deuteronomy 18, where Moses explained to Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And we can go to so many other places, like Jonah, which Jesus himself equates to his uh, resurrection. But the chances are that actually what he's saying here, according to the scriptures, means just as Jesus explained in Luke chapter 24, remember when he encounters the disciples in one of his post-resurrection appearances, two disciples on the road, and he opened up all of the scriptures from the law, the Psalms, and the prophets, and explained how they were about him, that that's probably what Paul's saying here, is that according to all of the witness of the Old Testament, this thing about Jesus' death and resurrection has been foreshadowed and promised and hoped for. Another thing about the, the other sort of, that's a sort of a, a category of evidence that he's pointing to. Uh, and there's plenty of it throughout the Old Testament. Uh, but another thing that he points to is that this thing didn't happen privately. It's not just some nice myth. But people saw this. And with Jewish law, all you needed were two witnesses for a case, to make a case. But Jesus appeared uh, not just to Peter, but to the twelve, and then to five hundred brothers at once. That's far more. Five hundred something people saw this, and many of whom are still alive, so you can verify it, he says. That's far more than the two that were required. But here's a really interesting thing about the three names that he highlights Cephas, which means Peter, remember, uh, James, and Paul. And he goes on to explain much more about himself. But first of all, Cephas. These, these three are the sort of, they're sort of unlikely um, witnesses that you wouldn't choose. Because remember, Peter did what? He denied Christ three times before his death. But Jesus appeared to him. And then he becomes uh, chief apostle, pre- proclaiming this message with boldness, being arrested and eventually martyred for this faith. And then to James, do you remember uh, that uh, Jesus' family thought that he was out of his mind? So James, his brother, probably wasn't actually a follower of Jesus until the resurrection, and then becomes a leader in the church. And then Paul, as one untimely born, Paul, a persecutor of the church, that, that phrase untimely born uh, really is a sort of PC translation that doesn't really make any sense to us. In the Greek, it basically meant like a miscarried fetus. Paul, I, like a miscarried fetus, uh, was raised to this new and transformed life to be a witness, and not only a witness, but an apostle uh, to you, Corinthians, that I was like a stillborn child and raised from the dead and a a former persecutor of the church, uh, me. These are the the witnesses that he came to. And so Paul's making a case for the the assurance that we could have uh, in the resurrection in this passage. And so, uh, and as he said, uh, this is of first importance. And so we can say in 1 Corinthians, that quite possibly chapter 15 is the most important chapter of the epistle. 
It's the foundation of everything else for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, it highlights this first principle of Christianity. That is the gospel message and evidence of Jesus Christ bodily crucified and risen from the grave. Just consider how the, the chapter ends. We'll get to this in a few weeks, but in verse 58 he says, Therefore, therefore meaning everything else that's followed, that's uh, preceded it in this chapter. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That the, the Christian life and everything else that is to come that is about Christianity follows this thing of first importance. Therefore, because of this, because of the message of the resurrection, uh, be steadfast and immovable. Uh, consider also, similarly, what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If you've been raised with Christ, just as uh, Paul raised with Christ like a, like a stillborn child, therefore seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Everything else follows this first principle. So let's circle back uh, to the beginning of chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, uh, is really what I want us to, to most take home, what I want to drive home most for you today where he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Well, as one of your pastors here, and more importantly, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and as someone who knows many of you personally, I want to ask you a series of, of three questions, and re some related questions, but a series of three main questions. And I ask these questions out of, out of love, out of care and concern for you, even if we've never met before. I, I love you, and I care for you, and I, I'm concerned for you. I want, uh, I want to ask you uh, these questions related to that first principle of Christian belief. And the first question is this, and this all comes out of verses 1, one and 2. The first question is this, have you received the gospel message? Have you ever heard this good news before? The priority of Jesus Christ's actual, historical, and bodily death, burial, and rising from dead. And the fact that there's good evidence for it. This is only one place. We can look elsewhere. But there is good evidence for it. And that it fulfills the expectations, hopes, and promises of the Old Testament. Have you received this? Or has Christianity been muddled for you uh, by secondary or tertiary concerns? If you've never received this message before, I invite you to receive it today. As the psalmist in Psalm 95 says, Today, if you hear his voice, God's voice, do not harden your hearts. If you've never received this before, today's the day. Don't wait for tomorrow. You could die between now and tomorrow, okay? It's likely to happen. It's happened to me before where I've preached and then someone passed away the next week. Could be you. Today, don't harden your hearts, but receive this gospel message. I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I am serious. Here's the second question. If you have already received the gospel, then as uh, Paul said, I want to remind you of it. 
And it's a priority as of first importance, the first principle of Christian belief. And, and I ask, is this gospel the main foothold of your life uh, in which you stand? Or is it a mere footnote, a sort of half measure in your life? Something that maybe you agreed to many years ago, uh, but mostly it has no impact on you. Look at what Paul says here. The gospel message ought to be the ground in which we stand, because, as the song says, all other ground is sinking sand. Here's the third and final question. Are you holding fast to this belief, or was your initial belief in vain, as he says? And remember that the better way to probably translate in vain would be in haste or without proper consideration. Or as Jesus said, uh, have you counted the cost of believing in him? Or, or think of his parable of the sower. Are you like the rocky ground, the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away? Or are you like the, the ground that's covered in the thorns in the parable, the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful? Does any of this potentially describe you, a vain belief which is no real belief at all? And so my three questions were, have you received the gospel? If you have received the gospel, I want to remind you of it and that it should matter for your life. Does it matter for your life? And the, the third question, are you holding fast to this belief or was that belief in vain? And obviously, I want you to receive the gospel and to stand firm in it with your whole life and to hold fast to it that your belief would not be in vain. If this is so, your life must be shaped by it having a mind that is set on heavenly things. I mean, just consider what Paul said in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 that I read to you, or these two verses, or the final verse of the chapter. And this isn't an easy thing. It's an ongoing struggle, a process of perseverance and a dependence on God's grace. And personally, I see this most of all in my uh, own prayer life, I mean, I do kind of go around life with a guilty conscience of all the, the ways that I feel like I'm living at odds with God's will for my life, but most of all, it comes to head when I, when I bring those things to God, and I feel like I'm praying for the same things all the time, prayers against cynicism, for a perpetual hope, and the things that, that I know to be true but want to matter for my life more and more, and for perseverance. Uh, for removal of persistent sins that don't seem to go away, begging that God would kill those parts of me. It's an ongoing process of being saved, standing firm, and holding fast. Well, friends, hear this. Jesus Christ rose from the dead in order to reconcile you with God, to conquer death for you, to pave a path of eternal life for you, to be crowned the King and Lord of your life, but as a benevolent king who cares for you. And your mortal life now is a mere opening chapter uh, to the life that you will spend with him and with his people in all of eternity. Have you accepted this? If not, today, as you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. 
If you have accepted it, does it matter for your life? And what implications should such wonderful news have on your life? Well, there's something that I've been saying a lot around here lately. Uh, Maybe you've heard me either here or in some other context. Is that I, I want to get people in church, especially in this building, or when we're together, because remember, church isn't a building, it's people, but when we're together, but especially in this place, I want people to talk about Jesus. <laughs> it sounds funny, but, uh, but often from my experience in witnessing or being a part of conversations around here, we're not talking about matters of the faith, where you, which is okay. You know, we, you know, we've got to sort of establish the relationship and talking about the weather and, and football and, uh, you know, the Tour de France or whatever it is that's on your mind these days, right? We've got to, we've got to sort of get things started, but I want people to talk uh, together about Jesus or the things of God and to maybe even feel as comfortable to pray with each other. And here's, I'm going to just give you, give you something. The easiest way to do that around here is to talk about the sermon. The easiest way, after church or throughout the week, the easiest way to sort of start such a conversation would be to talk about the sermon. And look, I've just uh, told you, I'm convinced the most important, I've, I've just explained to you through, through exposition of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I've just explained to you what I think is the most important thing anyone could ever tell you in this life, in this world. That this is the most important thing. The first principle of Christian belief, which of course is the most important thing, the most important thing to believe in. And so what better day than today to talk to each other about this stuff? And you could just, you know, you can be awkward about it. You can just start by saying, well, what did you think about what Matt said? You know, and take it from there. What did you think about what Matt said uh, about 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and take it from there because it is the most important thing that we could be talking about. The first principle, the top priority of Jesus Christ's death and actual resurrection for you, for us, and for how it matters for our life. Well, with that in mind, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this message. Help us to receive it. Help us to receive it not in vain. Uh, help us to persevere and not to fall away. And that this message of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and the evidence that we see of it would sink down into the deepest recesses of our hearts and might matter for us so much that we would want to, to share it with others, to remind each other of it. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.